someone's really behind the times and they aren't using technology and not very familiar with technology or whatever, those are hard. And it's like, well, look, we're going to get on board with technology or this is just kind of, you know, culturally, we can't keep doing what we're doing. Jack Welch said it best, you know, the worst acquisitions I ever did was where there was a cultural mismatch. And he's correct. This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we take a look at what is changing in the pest and lawn industries, and we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes. I'm Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which has Triangle Pest as well as Triangle Lawn. And with me is the, I don't want to say the newest Floridian resident, but but maybe oh, the, no. new, the newest on this podcast. How's about that? Newest on this podcast, Florida resident. Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say good afternoon? We are recording this afternoon. Introduce yourself, of course, our sponsors, our topic, and then our very special guest. So there you go. Okay. Not necessarily in that order. My name is Dan Gordon, and I own a company called PCO Bookkeepers and M&A Specialists. We do accounting for the pest and lawn industry. We also do merger and acquisition. Um services for the same. And uh, let's see, our uh, sponsors, uh, this episode is brought to you by uh, Coal March by Workwave. To learn more about their marketing services, visit them at coalmarch.com. And for your insurance needs, uh, Pestsure, visit them at pestsure.com. They provide general liability, auto, workers comp, and I'm sure some others. And uh, in case you haven't heard, and we keep uh, um, talking about this on each episode, so uh, um, our our facilitator, David Billingsley, uh, we have created a bunch of peer groups uh, from this podcast, folks who are interested in uh, getting together and uh, uh uh, learning it uh, from each other. And David is actually in Dallas right now facilitating one of our peer groups. And uh, here I am in Florida and Donnie is, I don't know where you are, North Carolina. Yes, uh, yes, I'm in North Carolina. And uh, yes, you're in North Carolina. And so if you'd like to hear more about uh, peer groups and how they work, episode 136 of our PMP Industry Insiders uh, and uh, or you could go to our website at pmpindustryinsider.com backslash peer groups. Now, drum roll, please. The very <laughs> special guest is Donnie. Yes. yes. You're going to love, you're going to love this topic because Donnie is a living, breathing um, uh, example of this. It's when you might need a culture change. I, I think Just you so meant that say, you know, I, I think you meant to say lab rat is probably what yeah, you meant to say. He's a lab rat. And, <laughs> and just so you know, for anybody who doesn't think that we don't keep it real and work from our own experiences, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, something that's been top of mind uh, with Donnie for the past, um, I don't know, several oh, yeah. months. Yeah, um, you know he's uh, yeah. he's gotten pretty ornery and pretty angry, and uh, so we're going to talk about when oh can you when you need a culture change and um, angry. I don't think I've been angry, but I have definitely yeah, been on culture change. Yeah, no, I, I would say angry, <laughs> angry. You're an you're an angry guy, man. And it's funny because as you get older, you get more and more angry, and that that's what happens. 
not in my case. In my case, I get happier and happier just because mm-hmm. of my family and you know my business and everybody who works with me and uh, our teammates. But but Donnie on the other end, he's on the front wow. line of it all. And, uh, wow, wow! Yeah, Did you even yeah. say what the topic is? Are you are you? Yes, done? yes. Just, when okay. you might need a culture change. Okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> because enough of this banter. People are going to tune right out. All right, so. Yes, um, we signs uh, you might need signs you might need a culture change. So we were talking about doing this episode, and this topic came up, and I thought it was pretty interesting because it is absolutely um, something I feel like as an owner um, that you need to be paying attention to. And and the problem is is that it's not an easy thing to get your finger on because you know a lot of times people are like oh well you know our culture's great and my culture's this and our culture's that and they don't really know what they're talking about or they don't really understand what culture means and i'm not being critical and saying people are dumb or anything like that i'm just making the point like when you say culture that means that it's such a broad term and people like it's like this fuzzy thing out there that some people are like oh you know it's our feelings and others say well it's how we're performing and so anyway i thought it'd be good because number 1 I have absolutely been in the middle of this. Let me just tell you, when when Dan Dan was sugarcoating when he said that we live what we talk about, and and I have absolutely been in the midst of a culture culture change at Triangle. But I will start this segment with telling a quick story. So Dan, you know we do traction, and I was just doing our state of the company meeting last week. the The great thing about doing those meetings is I do them in our office and at all of our branches. So that's one, two, three, four meetings total. So I'm going all week, you know, that we do the meetings early morning, whatever. And I do the same presentation four times. Um, the good thing is I got sick on day two. So that was fun, but Who's that good for it. Yeah. Good no. for but I showed this clip and, and this is like, at first I was like, should I show this clip? People are going to think I'm this dumb redneck by showing this clip. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to show it anyway because I am a dumb redneck. But anyway, I feeling, so, wait, I have a feeling I know what clip you're going to show. Are you uh, going to show your screen? And uh, no, I'm not. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll link it up. We'll link it up. So I showed a clip from Talladega Nights, and it's kind of the opening scene, right? Have you seen Have you seen Talladega Nights? It's okay to admit. No, I thought you were going to show the dumpster fire. But no, 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 no. <laughs> but have you seen Talladega Nights? Have you seen the movie, Dan? I haven't, but I've heard all the lines oh from every gosh. everybody yeah. who okay. recites all the lines. Well, let me just let me just it. tell you about this scene. So there's a scene at the very beginning where the guy pulls in the race car and he gets out and they're like, you know, they're 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 doing his quick pit stop and they're changing all the tires and 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 you know, Will Farrell's like one of the crew guys. And this the driver gets out and says, Hey, I gotta take a piss. He's like, What are you talking about? We gotta go. So he goes to the bathroom and they're all just sitting in the pits looking at the car. Meanwhile, you know, everyone else is racing. And then it shows another scene to show the same guy, like the driver. He's over now at a chicken sandwich shop eating a chicken sandwich. And then he's like, what's he doing? He's like, oh, we're in last place. It doesn't matter. Stop, you know, stop, stop. I have to forget what he said, but, you know, long story short. So there's like, okay, we need to get the car back on the track. And then, you know, Will Ferrer volunteers. And then that's how he becomes this amazing driver. But it's hilarious. Like it's a hilarious clip. And I showed that clip to the whole company as part of our state of the company. And, I, you know, and obviously we were talking about how important it is to have the right drivers, having the right people in the right seat, and, and really how we're transforming as a business from, you know, not to say that we've been losing whatever, but, you, but if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know, we've gone through three CRM changes. We've gone through a lot of internal change. 
And it's really put us in a position where we're not driving out on the track like we should be. And I'm like, before you continue, I, I don't want you to break out the violins for for Donnie because no. in the same time, he's <laughs> he's built a swimming pool, he's got a big house, he put up this big building. Oh, so you know, mm-hmm. don't send your donation. Don't 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 do. A I'm not starting a GoFundMe, and I'm certainly not saying that. I'm only making the point. I'm only making the point that you know, as a business, we have been, I would say, going in circles, and a lot of it's been kind of you know self-induced errors right and so i I showed that clip just kind of make the point that hey you know we're we're gonna we're we're getting out we're gonna start driving now we're putting the right people in the right seat and and that's what we're doing and so i showed that clip and i was talking about that because you know a lot of times i mean we have we're on the back side of a big cultural change and and i noticed it way early on and i'm not being critical and i'm not going to sit here and say well this person wasn't driving and this person went out and got a chicken sandwich and this person went to go take a piss that's not what i'm saying i'm only making the point that it, it was absolutely necessary to make make this change and i make this point because you know oftentimes when we're out whether it's at a peer group or we're you know at a conference and you hear someone talking and they're really really struggling oftentimes more times than not, it's typically that either A, they've got the wrong person in, in, in the wrong seat, or B, their culture actually does need a revamp. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but when we talk about culture, instead of talking about some big nebulous thing that most people don't understand, you know, one of the best definitions I've ever seen really actually comes from traction. It's get it, want it, capacity to do it. That's how to define, you know, if someone is in the right person, right seat, and that ultimately defines your culture, that whole chapter on people is what sold me on traction. But, but, you know, it has you actually go through and be intentional about your culture and what you really stop every quarter and you rank your people, because as your organization is changing, someone who gets it, wants it capacity to do it might be fine year two, quarter three, they may not be okay year four, quarter one. And so that constant quarterly analysis let you stay on top of what's really going on with the business. The other part I want to make before we get into recognizing when you might need a cultural change is that oftentimes this is probably one of the most difficult things to do. And it's one of the most difficult things to see. And I don't know, Dan, you've read EMS, right? When was the last time oh, you read yeah. EMS? Over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I've read, that, ago, yeah. I've read that book like 15 times. I mean, I remember yeah. when I first started, I used to listen to it driving back and forth to the base, but yeah, in E-Myth, um, one of the things that Michael Gerber talks about is this whole idea of getting your KPIs, you know, getting everything to a number, getting everything to a number. And he's absolutely correct. But then you have these other parts of your business that are not as easy to measure. So you think about like a tangible KPI, like let's just talk about like revenue or profit or customer count. Those things are very, very tangible. What's so not tangible to measure is like feeling. And I hate to say that. <laughs> You know, you're not going soft on me, are you? I'm not going soft, but you know, this whole get it, <laughs> want it, capacity to do it, those things are those things are intangible. They're very, very difficult to get a KPI on. And so one of the things that EMIF has you do is that it says, okay, you have these intangibles, let's define them. And so essentially what they try to do is they try to take it from intangible back to tangible so that you know that even though you can't necessarily put a number on it. They're either falling in line with this side of the definition or the other side. So an example would be, let's just say, get it. How do you put a tangible KPI on whether or not someone gets it? Well, is that is that I defined? Get- is that a, is that defined in some 
accounting textbook. Yeah, no, it's it's a qualitative. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, it's a qualitative. Uh, well, I mean, it's and that's the whole point, right? Is like you sit down and you say, okay, well, get it wanted capacity to do it. You actually put definitions down as to what get it means and what doesn't get it means, and then you rate that person based on that. And then you get capacity, like, you know, you, you define what capacity is and what, what capacity is. Now I will tell you, I'm using the traction piece of it. And, and by the way, uh, you know, the guy who wrote uh, traction, he actually defines these intangibles, get it, want it, capacity to do it, which I think is great, but you don't have to use those definitions. I'm only using this as an example, but, but the whole point I'm making here is that there are tangible KPIs in your business and there are intangible KPIs in your business. And you have to pay attention just as much to your intangibles as you do your tangibles, because oftentimes it's the baseline that is driving your tangibles. And so culture is probably, in my opinion, one of the most biggest things that is hard to measure, but it's also one of the most important part because based on your culture, that affects all your other KPIs. So having said all of that, let's talk about when you might need a culture change. So Dan, off the cuff, when would you think that you would typically need a culture change? Well, so, you know, we're, my wife told me that I have a personality defect and let me tell you why before you agree with her. So long ago, I was a CPA working for a big firm working a hundred hours a week, getting crazy. Everything was, you know, that that's the way that, that you do uh, uh, accounting during tax season. Right. And then I decided uh, for, you know, a whole bunch of reasons and, and, and we could go into it, but uh, we won't. I got into the pest business and way back when I got into the pest business, termites used to swarm like crazy. And we used to lose our minds because the phones would be ringing off the hook. We couldn't accomplish it. So we would work, a hundred hours a week, and then uh, got back into the accounting business, same thing, right? So mm -hmm. when I look at our businesses or the business that I've come from, that uh, especially when, when things are going off the rails, you know, are people fighting? Are you getting things accomplished? Um, you know, are you having, you know, when, when everybody wants to quit because you're, you know, you're overworked or the boss is telling you that you uh, uh, aren't accomplishing what, he, what what your goal is and, and, and you're saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, um, you know, so I, I don't like yeah, buts, uh, you know, e either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. And the true uh, character of a person is, you know, when the, when the going gets rough, how do you handle it? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I think for me, you know, when I think about when when do I start looking at things culturally, it's when I start seeing the organization having a performance issue. I mean, it's easy when you have one person. I say it's easy. It's it's oftentimes easy to see, like if one person is missing a deadline, if they're missing a number, they're not really performing in their role. That is typically a sign. Okay, that's the wrong person, wrong seat. If you have multiple people missing deadlines, you have multiple people missing numbers you have multiple people that are like you know kind of in the i mean i hate to say it but you know they're they're kind of in the ditch and they're just not really that's that's a that's a clear sign to you that you have performance issues and probably more importantly you have cultural issues you have issues that are a lot bigger than this person not performing in their role 
Oftentimes, and I will say this, I mean, I'll be very bold in saying this. Oftentimes, when you have that going on, what you really have is a leadership issue. You know what I mean? Like what you really, typically what you have is you have a leader or someone who's running the show that is either putting people in a position where they can't succeed or they're not being effective in helping those people hit their own numbers. And so I think the very first sign in any any time that you know that you may have a cultural problem, and I know that sounds so basic, but it is important to back up and really get that. I mean, to get really clear on what that means, because again, there's a very big difference between someone not performing in their role versus the entire organization. And when when it's the entire organization, you better believe that there's a lot more going on than just well, we're just having a bad year. More than likely, you either have a culture of losing, or you've got something else going on with your culture. And often, well, and you got you got to be careful because that one negative person can create a virus and yeah. just totally, you know, destroy the the culture and the organization as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the second thing I would say, so that's the first thing is be looking for performance issues. I would say from a very global perspective, not necessarily one or two, or, you know, even a a position or two look at it from the organizational perspective. If the organization is really missing in multiple departments, that's a pretty good sign that you, you got some cultural issues that you need to address. The second one I would say is where if your company's culture isn't aligned with kind of your strategic goal or your strategic vision. So an example of that would be years ago, I don't even, I don't even want to link this book, but I'm going to talk about it. (laughs) So I read this book many, many years ago and I got done reading it and I was sick to my stomach when I got done reading it. It's by a man named George Cloutier. Have you ever heard of this book? Profits aren't everything. They're the only thing. You ever heard of this book? no that's not first is it okay well let me just say no it's not it's profits aren't everything they're the only thing and it's a no not i'm going to read directly off the book here a no nonsense from the ultimate contrarian and small business guru this book i kind of like the title though i gotta tell well let me just tell you this book (laughs) was horrendous I mean, yeah. just a culture killer. And basically this guy was like, he was pretty doggone self-centered only about himself. And, and, you know, and I mean, it would absolutely undermine and decimate any culture. And while it may work in a really, really small business, you go to scale in the millions of dollars. There's no one. I mean, I, I would be, I would be very surprised to see how many businesses this guy actually helped. What was the book written? It was written back in 2010. Oh, that's. Yeah, I mean, it's not written in the 1930s or anything. Yeah, in the 1930s, that's the way it went, you know, I mean. Well, but I mean, I guess my point is, is like in this case, I want to talk about that book because the book is like, you know, profit is everything. You, you know, you kill people, you know, I mean, like you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And if it's not that, then you're gone, right? And the fact is, is that that may very well be your culture and that very well may be the culture that you want to have. And I'm not being critical either way. The only thing I'm saying is, is this, is that if that is your strategic objective, if that's your strategic goal and you bring in people who don't buy into that, you're going to have a cultural issue because it's going to create friction and it's going to create problems for you over the long term. And you have to pay attention to this because I, I mean, I didn't think about this for this episode today, but there's a there's an article that's on usatoday.com today that's talking about how how much with the new like Gen Z or whatever, how much they are willing to give up money for time at home. And that's very different from Gen X. 
I mean, it is, it's very different. I mean, and so there's just a, you know, I, I think in, in, in general, you really have to make sure that your strategic vision aligns with your people. And if they're not aligned, you've got one or two things to change. <laughs> you can change your people or you can change that strategic objective, but trying to keep them where they're too disconnected, it's it's absolutely going to create this cultural problem that you're going to have. And you're going to go, and eventually it's going to turn into a global performance issue that we just talked about. So that's number two. So number one is performance issues. Number two is alignment with strategic goals. One, the one thing that just to, to, to go back for a second, um, if you... He clearly didn't coin it properly, but one of the things that, that and I don't remember where I read it, but it's something that I, I thought about quite a bit. And sometimes we, we talk about it at our meetings is if profit is first, and I don't mean, you know, you're a steamroller. If profit is first, then you're able to, um, if a company that's profiting provides good opportunities for yeah. people to move yep. forward. It, does. Uh, it provides the ability for your company to have money to do good things in your community for charity and things like that. You know, so, uh, you know, a, a profitable company, you know, it, it's not a bad thing. And, and and I know that you know that, but but right. it's yeah, you're right. How you uh, express that, 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 you know, it's profit above all else and everybody else is, you know, uh, you know, damn if they do damned if they don't. But uh, I think that that's that's an important point that. A company that's, you know, that's not profitable, you don't have opportunities for employees. You, you're you not, you know, doing charitable things and, and well, giving hang on, to the community. Hang on. And you, okay, so you're making a good point and I want to address it because I should have mm -hmm. spent a little bit more time on this and you're making a good point here. So, so, so first things first, it has everything to do in my mind with motivation. Your point, there's no margin, there's no mission. I don't, you could have the most charitable mission, strategic objective in the world. If there's no margin, you have no company, period. Dot. You don't have profit. You don't have a company. So, so Jocko Willick, he, he talks about this and I should probably talk like this when I say this, because that's how he talks, but he you talks about that's this. That's Brando from Apocalypse Now. When <laughs> well, you're going up to conference. Hang on, hang on. You, hear, you hear Jocko talking. He's it's great. His, he's got his voice like this. And then he talks to you know, Leif Babin, who is like his yeah. partner in the road. And he's even worse. He's like, yeah. So anyway, so I'm not going to tell you. By the way, if you are if you have it on audiobook, play it at 1.2 because it gets even you know the, the voice it's it's just a, a blast to listen to but he he well he gets into this idea of motivation right and he talks about what motivation really is and and one of the points that he makes and and by the way this is not a donnieism i just it, it stuck with me because it's so true he talks about how a lot of people think motivation is getting people pumped up and fired up and going to get them you know really really going on about some and it's not that at all you know motivation is to provide people with a motive Right, a a reason for doing what they're doing. So, so bringing it back to what you just said, profit is not a four letter word, right? But profit should be a necessary thing to achieve your objective, whatever that is. So, so in the case of like, like for Triangle, for example, we have do what you love with people you love, making a massive difference, being compensated appropriately, and having time for other passions. That, that we we've said that we we've hammered at home forever and ever and ever. But pro, I, mean, I tell people all the time, we can have this most amazing, you know, drive, this most amazing mission statement. You know, this this is what we're doing. But if we don't make money, 
it's nothing more than words on a piece of paper. It means nothing. And so profit is not a bad thing. It was more about the way this guy, this book that I just love, went about talking because it's totally self-centered and all about himself. And that, the motivation really is the issue there, right? So I mean, really what that book should say is, you know, profits from my own selfishness and line in my own pockets. That's because that's truly when you read that's the great book. great title. I like that. Yeah. No, 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 no. Not at all. So, okay. So that would be, so, so number one is performance issues. And I'm not talking about just single performance issues. This is across the company. The second one is alignment with strategic goals, which is what we just spent a long time talking about. Number three, and this seems so obvious, but it's totally true. If you've not done like an employee survey, or if you've not done some sort of where you're, you're trying to get feedback, if you see like a really bad employee score, you know, or you don't even have to do a survey. You can look at your turnover rates. You can look at engagement scores, those types of things. Those are things that show you are clear signs that you may need to change your culture. Now, I will tell you, we've been at this culture shift at Triangle. We've been in it now for about a year and a half. I did one last year about this time, and it was dismal. <laughs> Well, let me ask you a question. Where are you? Uh, the, 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 the idea of doing an employee survey is, is it's yes. a really great idea. Where are you getting the questions? I mean, if you make them up, then you skew it. Do you have a template or is there a book that you read? Okay, or? so here's what I would tell you. Um, the best thing to do, if you are considering this, uh, go over to Gallup. Um, and, and for a couple of reasons. Number one is Gallup has done a ton of research on this. It's it's it's. I mean, it's truly like, black box. I mean, you, you sign up, they, they can absolutely make it so that the, the survey is objective, meaning that you can get real stats out of it. Because I'm going to tell you, writing questions for engagement is a very difficult thing to do. It seems simple at first, but then when you start digging into it, um, it's a really hard thing to measure. And I mean, let's face it, I trust Gallup. There, there are people that get paid lots, they get paid lots and lots of money to figure this stuff out. And they have what's called like a like a Q12 survey or something like that. You can go on Gallup's website and look it up. But the other thing about it, so number one is that they're really, really good at measuring. Um, what do they charge for this? Is this a, a yeah, they that they they do. they do. And I'm not going to, I mean, it, it would depend on your company size and how many surveys you, you oh, pay. Okay. You okay. pay per survey is what I'll tell right. you. Okay. So, so number one is go to Gallup. Okay. They have a Q12 employee engagement survey that you can do there. It's a fantastic way to do it. The other thing is, is it can be truly anonymous. It's not on your system whatsoever. So, so, you know, employees, I think one of the, one of the biggest things is they worry about, you know, retribution in, in a bad way. Right. I mean, they worry about, you know, someone coming back and, you know, if they, if they go on and blast their boss or they blast the company, you know, if it's, if it's on one of your systems, I'm sure that there's just a trust level. So, so Gallup is completely separate. It's completely anonymous. There's a ton of research that goes behind that employee engagement. The other thing that it, that allows you to do is it gives you a ton of good stats and you can repeat that survey year after year just to see how well you're making progress and how well you're not. We're in the middle of doing our Gallup again this year. It can't go any lower. So I'm expecting it to be way better this year. <laughs> but I can report back on a on a future episode on how it's doing. But but point is is that when you get uh, if you do if you don't do engagement surveys, I would highly recommend that you do that. If you have high turnover and you got low engagement, 
typically that's a sign that you got a cultural issue. And again, I can't emphasize this enough. If you were dig even further, that means you got a leadership issue. And if that leadership issue is you, you got to be humble enough to say, yep, I got issues here. I need to fix it or I need to find someone who can address this, that has skills that I don't have, that can that can make this the way I want it. Because, I mean, let's face it, being a good entrepreneur typically means that you're not a good manager. Being a good entrepreneur typically means you're not, you know what I mean? Like they just, I'm not saying that they yeah. don't, like it's not possible, but all I'm saying is, is that they're two different skill sets. And typically someone is really good on one, but not so great on the other, or, you know, a really, really good manager is typically not the greatest entrepreneur, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's just a, I mean, it's like a freaking unicorn if you can do both. And so that's okay. I mean, having a self-knowledge to know that, okay, well, I need to bring in someone that can help me with this. That's fine. But, but the fact is, is that you need to know what's going on. And if you, again, if you go back to your employee feedback and it's telling you that, you know, hey, our folks aren't very engaged, our turnover is pretty high. Again, another sign that you're, you're right for, you really need to be paying attention. You, you're going to need a cultural change and that's just not going to be fun. So, all right, next thing. So once you find out about yourself, I'm a horrible manager. I'm a great entrepreneur and I'm a horrible manager. I am. I am the worst manager ever. And the reason is, is because I'm, I'm fast and I'm impatient and like, and I'm, and, and I'm nice, but I also have a hard side of me as well. Right. And so I don't want to say I'm, I mean, I'm bipolar. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, just, but no, I mean, I, and I, and I know that about myself, right? I mean, it's okay. I don't, I'm not. I'm it's not an interesting sure. combination. Yeah. I mean, it would absolutely. Being be in the military, understanding policy procedure and how to, how to, to follow a process, but the impatience, that's a very interesting combination that you've got there. It is, it is, it is. I mean, and you've flown me, right? Yeah, I'm a very yeah. process driven person, but, but the fact is, is that, you know, yeah. it's hard, at least for me, because um, and I'm talking about me, you know, me individually, like I want to move at a certain pace and I'm impatient for things to kind of get all the way yeah. through before I'm ready to move, move on to something else. And that's just really, really hard on people. And a lot of folks cannot absorb all that. And so I do, I need really good managers under me that can kind of, kind of make sure it's that, funny I, that, I that you that. say that. So I'm not a good manager either. And I can, yeah. I know yours, but I know what to, I know how to find and what to, to, to look at in a good manager. And the reason I'm not a good manager is because I've got a lot of ideas. And so I shift all the time and probably have a little ADD. And that's yeah. what makes an entrepreneur. That's that, you know, we've got a whole bunch of different businesses and whatnot, and we've got great managers in, in places to, to run them. But when you come to that, uh, that realization that you're not a good manager, or you're not a good visionary or whatever, do what you're good at. That's that, that changes things a lot. If you read Rocket Fuel, it's not uncommon at really all. Good. Yeah, I mean, Rocket Rocket Fuel is a book that kind of lays that all out, that you need a good integrator. And most visionaries are not good managers. They never will be. It's not their strong suite. And you don't want to burden them with that. And likewise, you don't want to make a someone who's a really great manager try to turn them into an entrepreneur, right? It just doesn't work. And so, um, so yeah, to answer your question, I'm a poor manager. And, and yes, I will absolutely... Own that 100. Um, okay, next thing. So now that we're done with the confessional, let's uh, move on. Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. Another one I would say, you know, and Dan, you you probably know this more than anyone, 
is I would say when there's a merger or an acquisition, you know, oftentimes, depending on what kind of merger acquisition is done, you can pretty well guarantee there's going to be some sort of cultural change. In some cases, not all cases, I'm sure if like some private equity comes up and says, hey, we're just going to keep things the way they are. We're going to shift a few things, but we're going to keep all the same people. And even then, I feel like there's going to be some, but I, you know, there's always I, be. yeah, I mean, I, I can talk through a couple of ones that we have done where, you know, someone's really behind the times and they don't use in technology and they don't, not very familiar with technology or whatever. That's, those are hard. And it's like, well, look, we're going to get on board with technology or this is just kind of, you know, culturally, we can't keep doing what we're doing. And, and that's kind of the new norm. And I feel like, you know, anytime that you, you know, Jack Welch said it best, you know, the worst acquisitions I ever did was where there was a cultural mismatch and he's correct, man. I think <laughs> he's so right on that one. And I feel like, you, that's you know, it's interesting. We we've done, yeah, we, we've done so many uh, deals, right? So over the past several years, and you would think that diligence, the due diligence is all about the finances, proving out how much money you made and everything else. And that that is part of it. But the thing that acquires, whether they're private equity strategics or even, you know, smaller companies who are, are purchasing or regional companies, they spend so much time on what's this person do? What are they like? What do you see in them? Where, where, where could they go? It's all about the team because if you don't have the right cultural fit, you're doomed. You're absolutely doomed. Um, you know, tuck-ins might be a little bit different because you get rid of everybody, you're just creating accounts. But if you're bringing people into your organization, they need to fit. Now, if you can teach them how to fit, that's great. But if you can't, then they're probably not loaned for the world. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing. And and you're right. I mean, I think the main thing is is that if you are looking at a merger or an acquisition, I just feel like and I mean this is this is preaching to the choir and I'm sure that folks that are listening are like, "Well, duh." But I, it's a it's a it's a it's a fantastic point because I will tell you, I've done an acquisition before where our cultures were not as tight as I thought they were, and then we got in it and it was a it was a show probably not the kind of show you want to watch, but it was absolutely a show. So, um, okay. So we're getting close to the end here. So I'm just going to rattle off kind of these last few, and we can put this outline up on the website when we get done for this episode. But I want to, I want to blow through these last few points because I want to get to the end, which is where we talk about how do you necessitate a cultural change? Because it's, it's kind of an unfortunate truth, but I'm, we'll get to that in a moment. So, so first things first is that, you know, if you got a global performance issue, Second is you got to make sure that you've got alignment with strategic goals. Three is like making sure you got good employee feedback. If you don't, then that's a good one. Next one is mergers and acquisitions. The next is market or industry changes. And we've seen this a lot on the digital side. You know, there's there's things that happen in business and you have to evolve. And one of the things that I think this is probably one of the most difficult things is that when the business starts going faster than some of your people and Ultimately, what that means is, is that company culture needs to be, you need to make sure that your culture is a way that, you know, it's it, it improvise, adapt, and overcome. That's an old military phrase. But the fact is, is that you need to have a culture that embraces change because if you have a culture that's very stoic, very immovable, and they're not flexible, and they're not trying to look for what's newer, faster, better, 
ultimately that's going to spell disaster for your business over the long term. And so you need to make sure that if you, you know, your culture is able to evolve and that they're looking for technology enhancements, right? They're looking for, you know, a way to stay competitive and relevant what's going on and that they're bracing those changes or not running away from them. Another one I would say that's pretty obvious is that if you have any ethical or legal issues going on, if someone's out doing something that, you know, they shouldn't do, I will tell you that some of the easiest, um, some of the easiest separations I've ever done have been over. I mean, those are clean kills, right? If someone's outside of our values or they do something and, and that's pretty hard to get through now, but early on in business, it wasn't. And, and there were a few times that I, some people surprised me, but, but the one thing I will say is that if you do have an issue that comes up either ethical or with your values or legal, you need to handle it immediately because everyone is watching. And if you, if you make an exception, I promise you, it's going to do you a lot more damage in the long run than it will in whatever time it's saving you. Because a lot of times they'll see people kind of drag their feet because they don't have someone to replace them or they're like, well, I don't, you know, it's kind of inconvenient. Don't do that. So you're in the middle of May. It's in the middle of swarm season. You need to hire 10 people. Only eight people show up. And one of them does something like that. What do you do? So I hired people knowing I was going to fire them early on in business. And I hate to admit that, but it's true. I hired a guy. He was a state inspector. And man, he was a, he, you know, I could tell from the very beginning that he was going to be a difficult person to manage. But at the time I needed him to go through there. And I will tell you this, that you would be better off. And it's easy for me to say this now than it was in the moment. But I, but I will tell you that it's much better for you to go ahead and make, and, and I mean, I hate to say this, but burn the boats and mm -hmm. be done with it. And, mm -hmm. and because over the long term, you'll be better for it and you will find a way and you will figure it out. That is way better than letting it continue on because it just, every day that you allow it to go on, it just does more and more damage. And some of it could be irreversible. Now that where you had a problem with one person, now you may end up having a problem with five or six. So. Okay, so let's get to the last point, which is how do you do a cultural change? And Dan, I'm going to ask you that question. <laughs> how do you think you would do a cultural change? Clear the house, get it, get rid of everyone, start <laughs> over again. The one thing, the one thing that I love about Donnie is he comes very well prepared to these uh, to these podcasts, and and he's very well read. So I let's. Uh, I will. I, no, you're very well read. So tell me how you do this uh, piece by piece, part by part, and who the author of this uh, is or the multiple authors of this. Well, program. I won't tell you this. So, so there's a brutal truth that I'm going to share for this episode. And that is this. If you need to affect or cultural change, you are probably going to, it's going to be way easier. And I hate to admit this it's probably going to be easier to start making leadership changes to affect that cultural change. And, and, and if you doubt what I'm telling you, I just want you to think back for a moment. Even you, Dan, think back. You implement something new for your technician staff or for your office. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is awful. Mm -hmm. You're, you're asking me to submit 20 leads a month. How dare you? This is this is just so crazy. And then you bring in the new guy and you say, okay, well, we do 20 minutes leads a month. They're like, okay, sounds good to me. Don't even bat an eye at it. Been there, yeah. done it. And the older, the older they get, they look at you like, 
Oh my gosh! Well, right. You know. So, so the, the young guy—he doesn't know any better. Yeah, he doesn't know any better, right? I mean, he just—I mean, right out the gate, you've established like this is what we're doing, and here's how we're doing it. And their mindset is that you know, and I'm not telling you here trying to let people are that way. They're not, but I'm just making the. I use that as an example to say the easiest and quickest way to do it is probably going to be start over. It's going to be, the, and I wouldn't say on your front line. I would say start with your leadership. And the reason is, is because, you know, if you start on your front line and you keep the same leaders and they're the issue, all you're going to do is create your same problem over and over and over and over again. So you start with the leaders first and you never know. I mean, some, sometimes people can, you know, they, they just, you know, it could be, I mean, and I know this is going to sound kind of crazy, but it, it could be you, right? It could be you that really needs the, you know, that needs the brutal truth of like, you need to step back you know, detach yourself from your business and say, am I all in? Am I helping my managers succeed? Am I helping my leaders succeed? Am I giving them all the support that they need? And if the answer is yes, and you're still not performing, then you have the wrong leaders. If the answer is no, well, then you need to, I mean, you know, if they're not already complaining to you, you need to give them a fair shake and you need to be all in and give them the support that they need. If you give them the support that they need and they start turning things around, well, that's a good, that's a good result. But more times than not, more times than not, the brutal truth is, and I've heard this from some really high level executives. It's just, man, you're top grading every two years. You're top grading every five years. And that's a brutal. Have you heard that, Dan? And have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. I can think of one very successful person who was in Philadelphia, and I know you know who I'm talking about. I've seen him do this multiple times, and he's on his vision of building a hundred million dollar company, and he's going wide open. I've known him for many, many years, and I've seen him do this over. You're laughing because you know who I'm talking about. I know who you're talking about, but sometimes, uh, sometimes you're better. Uh, yeah. so, so sometimes when when people tell you, "Don't start with that guy," you listen to them. Yeah. 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 No, that's exactly right. So, so my point here is, is that I just would say, you know, the brutal truth out of all of this is that if you, if you think you have a cultural issue, the very first place to start is in the mirror, right? That's the first place you start asking yourself some really hard questions. Like, am I really supporting my leaders the way that I should? And if the answer to that question is yes, then the next hard thing is going to be looking at my leaders and who, who has been outgrown. Who, who, who no longer is performing in their seat? And is there anything that I can do? And then after that, once you kind of fix the leader and manager thing, the, the front line, will, will, they will work themselves out. Folks who don't really buy in, they're going to leave or they're going to do something where they're going to be, you know, they're going to be forced out or, or they're going to change. And so, you know, my, my point here is, is that the brutal truth is this is probably one of the most difficult things you could ever do as an owner, but it's also one of the most necessary ones, especially when you're going through really big changes. You know, I when I think back over the years, getting to a million dollars was a big deal. Getting past two million dollars was a big deal. Five million was another hurdle. You know, we hit 10 million away, you know, a while back. I mean, all of those hurdles come with new challenges and new um really new capabilities that you have to develop as a leader, your leaders have to develop and you have to do as a business. And it's just a hard thing to do. And so my point here so is- So you didn't, you didn't prepare for this, but I'll ask you a question because I see it with our clients. And what in the pest and lawn industry, what are those, what are those 
functional hurdle areas. Like one of the things that we see a lot of these private equity guys, they'll go in and buy a $5 million company. Guy's been in business 20 years. Hey, listen, you're going to take us to the promised land. You're, you you ran this $5 million company. You're going to take us to $100 million. They go, they buy in. And there's a reason that that guy quit at $5 million or that he stopped at $5 million. What right. are those? Is it a million, $5 million, 10 million? And what, what what are the skill sets needed to move yeah. past the, the hurdles? Yeah. yeah, I I think I have a pretty clear answer on this, and you don't have to agree with me, but it, it seems like the larger we get, the more I, I understand it. Um, I personally think as you get larger and as you get bigger, you have to you have to be really, really good at people. And that's that is truly your I mean, look. We're in a service business and it's all about people. And if you don't like people, if you're not, I don't really like managing people, that's okay as an owner. That's not okay as a leader, as a manager. I mean, when you think about your business, a service company, we sell two things. We sell time and skill and it's all about the relationships. And so if you can't be very successful in getting people to do what they should do when they should do it and getting them to really like you and enjoy wanting to do that, then that's a clear sign that either A, You've gone as about as far as you're going to go, or B, you you know your craft, your skill set really needs to be on people management, and you need to change your focus. I had to do that, right? I mean, before I could get away with, I could get online, I could generate leads like gangbusters, I could put my checklists in place, and that worked just fine. But when you get big or bigger, and now you got leadership teams, there's a lot more personalities involved, there's a lot more complexity to the business. You, what you really have to focus on is like, and I heard this a long time ago back when you know, I first got started. It's all about relationships. It's all about people management. And and I can just say, amen, brother. I mean, it's true because it's- I But what are those? So a million, five million, 10 million. What are the different yeah. skill sets you need? What yeah, a million is, it's just, that's when, when you hit a million is when you get your first manager, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's truly what it is. Two million is where like, okay, you start making some money. 5 million is where like you have a smaller leadership team. 10 million is where you have a larger leadership team. And, you know, who knows? I mean, we obviously, I've shared this on the podcast before. I'm wanting to go to 50 million and I'll, I'll share what I learn as I go. But you know, the, the older I get and the further I get into this, the more I realize over and over again, yeah, you got to get your people skills at a bit better spot. And, and you just can't, what I could go in and fix and I could just use force of will to take care of at a million and at 2 million, or even at 5 million, I just can't do it now. I mean, it's the business is too big. You know what I mean? And so I have to work through people and working through people is a completely different skill set than making it happen. And so I feel like well, that's yeah. the big and, and if you have a manager and I, you know, I'm living and breathing this now, if you have a manager who believes that they can make the whole, just take the whole business on their back and do everything, there's only 24 hours in a day. Right. And you need multiple people and, and that you're absolutely right. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So, all righty. Uh, anything to add, Dan, before we close out here? This ended up going. Oh, I think it's a really good right? topic. I think uh, it's, it's relevant. Uh, it'll, you know, uh, for those who are starting to go into season or, or, you know, getting ready for season, a lot of this, listen to this episode a few months from now when, you know, when, when, when you're in battle, you know, because <laughs> it, it'll be, it'll be very relevant, uh, you know, come, come May or June or whatever, when, whenever your season heats and up. And it'll so. be very relevant in the fall. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, the fall when, is when I take when you review, Monday. right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. When, you know, after after the game, I mean, I want to say the game is over in the fall, but you know how it is. Like our season comes yeah. in in the spring, and we play all summer, and we get in the fall, and it's like, okay, is it is this all where it needs to be? And, and if the not, Phoenix is burning, right? So exactly. <laughs> we got to put out the fire. Exactly. All righty. Just a reminder that all the resources and topics that we talked about today are available on the podcast website. Just go to pmpindustryinsider.com. Just take a look at under show notes. I am not going to post that book that I talked about, but you can Google search it if you want. But we will give a we'll give a brief outline of what we talked about today. And as always, we very much appreciate any kind of ratings and reviews that you can give us unless they're negative. And if you got complaints or negative reviews, we ask that you direct all those to Dan. And with that, we're going to sign out. We'll see you all next time. See you now. Take care.